Sunday School handout and pens, uh, the normal Sunday School weekly update, which I'd encourage you to read each week. Make sure you're aware of what's going on and what the needs are in the class. Um, make sure you put your name down on that. That's how we record attendance and also share your prayer requests. And then you've also got a book. Uh, it says, Doing a Great Work. These are the Sunday School books for the next four weeks. Uh, so you can grab that and take it home. And it's got all the text of the lessons that we're going through. And inside it also has a sermon outline from the sermon series that the staff preached through the last time we went through Nehemiah. The answers to that are on the back side of your student handout. So if you want to go through and review that, that's great. Uh, we're going to go a little bit different perspective uh, for the next four weeks. So those of you that know me are kind of grinning right now. So, um, so that's where we're at. So if you've got your Bibles open to Nehemiah, we'll get there in just a second. So I want to give a little bit of history on the background of Nehemiah. Uh, I've got a timeline there on the front of your handout. Um, there were several massively tragic events that happened uh, in the history of Israel, kind of culminating with this uh, rebellion against God. Uh, on most, And I wish I had put that on the timeline earlier, because most timelines that talk about Nehemiah start off with the destruction of the temple, as if this just happened out of the blue and there was no precipitating events, and here we go, the temple gets destroyed and everything just goes downhill from there. Well, there was a whole lot of disobedience that preceded that. Right? I mean, years and years and years of disobedience. So God allows Nebuchadnezzar uh, and the Babylonians to come in and pretty much lay waste to a large portion of Israel. Um, several years after that, Cyrus, the next king, uh, lets the Jews return. Uh, the next king is a little more uh, willing. The next king is a little more willing. The next king is a little more willing uh, to the point where uh, there are now people in Jerusalem but there are not enough, and there is no leadership, no strong, there is leadership, it's corrupt and awful leadership. There was no strong biblical leadership in place that could rally the people around and rebuild the wall. Now, you guys remember when we went through Jonah? Uh, the story of Jonah is not about a whale or fish. It's about what? It's about Jonah, right? And Jonah running from God and this, this process of coming back. And, and your first blank, uh, there on the handout it says uh, it's a, one of my favorite commentators on uh, Nehemiah. This guy's been dead for several years. Uh, Ray Stedman says Nehemiah is the story of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, and that's what the story, the text in Nehemiah explains. But like almost everything in the Bible, what we're looking at is not really what we're talking about, right? Because what we're looking at is this wall, and what we're talking about are the people. Because the people needed godly leadership with a vision that could communicate, and that's what they got. And imagine this, things got better. And the wall went up, which was the visual representation of the spiritual condition of the people. So does that make sense? So we're going to talk about this wall, but what we're really talking about is the spiritual condition of the people. All right, does that make sense? All right, so here we go. So the next four weeks, we're going to talk about praying for a great work, Nehemiah 1, preparing for a great work, participating in a great work, performing a great work, and then March 31st is what, Justin? Oh, man, I set you up. Doing a great work, right? We're going to go pull it off at Easter at Coolidge. So, so, while, so watch me for a second. So, so Nehemiah, the text is about building a wall. What we're really talking about in the text is the spiritual condition of the people, and what we're really doing in Sunday school is a commercial for Easter at Coolidge. Okay? So... 
I'm being completely open and transparent with you this morning on that. All right, that's what we're talking about. Every one of the examples that I use for the next four weeks is going to be talking about Easter Coolidge. EAC will be the answer to a lot of blanks in the next couple of weeks. All right, that's the way this is going to work. So, the who, what, where, when, and why. Uh, the who in the book of Nehemiah. Anybody want to take a bl- uh, guess at that blank? Nehemiah, yes. That's the easy Sunday school blank of the day. Uh, this book is about Nehemiah. And, and the thing that I love about Nehemiah, oh, that is so awesome. Squirrel moment. How you doing, little man? He's got, look at him. He is ready for church. He has got his Easter at Coolidge insert. He's trying to find his place of service. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, so I got totally distracted there. That was awesome. Let me figure out where I was at. Uh, Nehemiah, yes. So the th- one of the things I love about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah was not a preacher, right? Nehemiah was not a Bible teacher. Nehemiah was not a priest. He was not a Levite. Nehemiah was not... Um, he just, he wasn't that stuff. He wasn't on a church staff somewhere. Um, as far as we know, he'd never led anybody to do anything before ever. He just was the guy that tasted the drinks and the food before they gave it to the king so the king wouldn't die if somebody poisoned. Right? Yay! <laughs> Go job. You hate your job? <laughs> okay? Um, this would have been somebody that was extremely trusted by the king. You know, they, they, they're not going to hand this job out based on, yeah, my third cousin needs a job. Uh, no, <laughs> right? This is somebody that you would have known, that the palace would have known his entire life. Um, he'd have been extremely trusted. So, but one of the things that I love about the scripture as a whole, and Nehemiah specifically, is that God just picked somebody that, that wanted to do the work. Um, we have no indication that God... Uh, you know, there was no burning bush that came to Nehemiah and said, hey, you're going to go do this great thing, and here you go, here's your message. Nehemiah just volunteered. And, and, and that, to me, is a beautiful part of the Bible, is that he, God's okay with volunteers, right? I mean, that's, this is how he gets this work done. So the what, we kind of already talked about. Uh, this is the, the destruction and the downfall of Jerusalem. And we've finally kind of come to the place where there are people living in Jerusalem sufficient enough to do the work, uh, but there's no uh, leadership there. The where is Shushan, this is where Nehemiah starts, uh, and Jerusalem. That's next blank. The when is about 444 B.C. For those of you that are history folks, uh, Herodotus, Hippocrates, Plato, and Socrates were all alive at this time, so that was the, those are the predominant philosophers on the earth. Um, sometimes I feel like when we tell Bible stories, we forget that these things actually happened, and they happened in the context of world history with other things actually going on. Um, so the why, uh, another quote from Stedman here is that this book is also the story of a rest- the story of the restoring of a people from ruin and despair to a new walk with God. Um, and, and one of the things that you'll see, and, and I love this. Um, this concept is when you try to decide to go and do something for God, whether it's small, whether it's big, whether it's medium-sized, whether whatever, you're going to have opposition. That's just the way things are. And I had, I had read through the book of Nehemiah, I don't know, probably 20 or 25 times in the month of December in 2011 um, because Gary and Daryl had come to me and asked me to be the coordinator for Easter at Coolidge in 2012, and Daryl suggested, he said, you may want to go through Nehemiah, and just remind yourself that opposition's going to come. And I'm thinking, opposition's going to come? I'm in the church. We're going to go tell people about Jesus. Who's going to be opposed to that? (laughs) 
opposition came. Uh, and it came from strange, strange places. Um, you know, the, the, morning, uh, the morning that we did the Easter egg stuffing party, I had two or three people come up to me. That's a dumb idea. You know that's not going to work, right? You're going to be asking all of us to fill these eggs. You know that, right? Uh, thank you so much for your encouraging words. Wow. Okay. I mean, it, and it was once or twice a week, I'd get an email or a phone call or a text from somebody in the church who just was really opposed to the general concept of going and telling people about Jesus at Easter at Coolidge, which I didn't get. I was just completely blown away with that. Um, but when we try to do good, opposition always occurs. This is one of the themes throughout the Bible. When somebody steps up to try to do something, there's going to be conflict. Uh, Donald Miller describes a story. It's the basic fundamental definition of a story. Is you have a character who wants something, and he overcomes conflict to get it. Okay, so think about your favorite movie, your favorite book, your favorite anything type of a story. It involves a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. And to me, that's a great picture of the Bible, right? Because the character is not us. The character is God, and he wants us, and he overcomes us to get us, right? It, it, we, we get in the way of our relationship with God. It's a beautiful picture of what's going on. So here in the book of Nehemiah, we have Nehemiah who wants something, and the thing that he wants is safety and prosperity for the people in Jerusalem. And he has to overcome this conflict and overcome the building of the wall to get it. So that's the story of Nehemiah. We ready? All right. I like responsive answers. Thank you. There's not many other types of answers, but we'll just leave it at that. So Nehemiah 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, and his name means Jehovah comforts, the son of Hakaliah. <clears throat> and it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I, who's I? Nehemiah. So we think that Nehemiah wrote at least some part of the book. As I was in Shushan, that and this is the citadel, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Now, now what would you have known about Jerusalem at this time, even if you hadn't asked? Based on what I just told you, all the backstory, what would you have known about Jerusalem at this time, even if you hadn't asked about the latest status update? Nehemiah wasn't checking Facebook. You know, nobody in Jerusalem was updating Facebook. They didn't have Twitter feeds, so they had to tell people. What would, we, what would Nehemiah have known? It's in trouble, right? It's a mess. It's a wreck. It's an absolute shambles. So why does he ask? Why does he ask? It's important to him. He cares. He cares. One of the best quotes in this whole thing that I found uh, from Josh Hunt, he writes Sunday School material. He says, godly people at times, here's your blank, look for trouble. Godly people at times look for trouble. They look for the problems that God can use them to solve. They don't bury their heads in the sand. They expose themselves to the pain that is in the world. There is pain in the world. Has anybody noticed this? There's pain in the world. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are dying. There are people that are bleeding from their pain. And our job as the church is to step in and put our hands and our feet and our minds and our hearts in those situations and to get dirty doing it. And it is okay. 
because that is what we do. We engage. We look for these types of problems. So when you volunteer for something at Easter at Coolidge, and it's a if, it's a when, when you volunteer for something at Easter at Coolidge and it doesn't go just like the training said it would, guess what? That's the dirtiness of the job, right? This is the opportunity because the opportunity is not to stand silently and hand out brochures to people as they come in and just welcome them. The opportunity is you can tell a mom has had a very bad day and she has kids that only are interested in sprinting to the Easter and not paying attention and she needs love and she needs more than a bulletin, right? So, so even though we will all get job descriptions for Easter at Coolidge, those are fuzzy outside the lines, okay? It's a little, it's a little fuzzy. You can do more. It's all right. So look for trouble. Now, I promise you, this will not always be comfortable. It will not always be convenient. It will not always be easy. It will not always be fun, but it will be extraordinarily rewarding on the backside. Because when you walk away and you've got blood on your hands and you know that the patient is now no longer dying, that's pretty cool, right? I, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I never went to medical school. Um, the sight of blood, the thought, if I think about it too much, I'll pass out. I can't do that. Um, let me just hang on right now while I'm talking about it. Uh, it just really makes me woozy. I'm probably getting white right now, right? Um, or whiter. I'm like as white as person you know, right? I mean, come on, right? It, you were all thinking it. You were all thinking it, right? Um, <laughs> we, we took, uh, Anna Grace got dehydrated uh, Friday. She was, I know, I've got to tell this story, though. You'll get angry with me if I don't. So she was dehydrated Friday. We took her to Children's Hospital. They put a thing of fluid in her. She perked right back up. Everybody was good. But the ER doc that came in looked at her, looked at us. She said, uh, is she normally this pale? Because you guys are really pale people. But is, <laughs> are, are you normally this white, honey? Is that, is that normal? She's like, no. He's like, okay. All right, just checking. So I figured you would, you would enjoy that. So we get engaged. We get involved. Verse 3. And they said to me, who is they? People given the report, right? People who've been to Jerusalem. They said to me, the survivors or the remnant who were left from the captivity in the province in great distress and reproach. Uh, another way to translate that word reproach is taunted. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Now, now this wall would, would have been a massive wall going all the way around the city, right? It had multiple gates going in and out and the gates enabled... Uh, trade to take place, people to come in and outside of the city during the, get, during the day, and at night the gates would be closed and it would provide safety and security for the people inside the city. Very, very simple concept. So if you tear down the walls and burn up the gates, how much safety is there in the city? Not much. It would be the equivalent of taking all the windows and the doors out of your house. Go home. No, not good. This is not, you're not going to feel safe and you're not going to be safe. There's no level of comfort in this place right now. All right? So that's the setting. Verse 4, So it was when I, who's I? Nehemiah. Heard these words that I sat down and wept. And this is to weep bitterly in the Hebrew. This is not, uh, I watched a movie and I, I accidentally a tear rolled out my eye. No, no. This is to weep bitterly. The Hebrew word is ba-kaw. It even sounds like you're crying, right? I mean, it's just, it's bawling and mourned for many days. I was fasting, and this is abstaining from food, and praying, the specific word here for praying is interceding, this is praying on behalf of someone else, before the face of God of heaven. 
Now, we, we don't see it here, but in Nehemiah chapter 2, can everybody stand up for just a second for me? <clears throat> I have, uh, many of you know that I teach an ACT prep class um, outside of TVA and some other things that I do, and I have a standing rule. Whenever I see somebody yawn, everybody gets to stand up. So I thought that I would implement it here this morning, and I would, I would never share who actually did. You may have a seat. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> so, so Nehemiah is weeping here, and what we don't find, what we don't find out in chapter one, is how long he prayed. Does anybody know from chapter two how long he prayed? It actually, <laughs> that was a great attempt at an answer. There you go. Oh, that was you? That's awesome. Nice. Easter at Coolidge. Good try. How long did he pray, Keith? For what? Four days? Four weeks? Four days? No? Four weeks? No? Four months. He prayed four months. The tense of the Hebrew here implies that this was his attitude during those four months. This weeping and crying and praying and total engagement. And I don't know if you've ever been there before, right? Whether you've had something on your heart, had something on your mind, had somebody that you were interceding for that you just broke down and you wept and you cried and you poured your heart and your soul out to God because you didn't know what else to do. Anybody ever been there? Um... How many of you know that Jed Cole has been having massive uh, health issues the last couple weeks? We know this? Really? Jed, not Jed. <laughs> no, I didn't know it. <laughs> sorry. Cole Hedrick, I'm sorry. Wow. Thank you very much. I'm looking at Barry and I'm saying, yes. Cole Hedrick has been having massive health problems. I mean, now we'll try the right name. Okay, much better. Um, his mom and his dad, no doubt, have gone through this type of prayer. He's been in the ER, he's been out of the ER. He's been in the ER, he's been out of the ER. He stepped on a nail, it went a couple inches into his foot. Some stuff may or may not have gotten in there. They've gone through all different types of scenarios. He's having infections, and then he's not, and he's having infections, and then he's not, and it's not good. Okay? So, so when I say the world is dirty and broken and hurting, we don't have to go far, right? This is, this is in our house here. So let me read it again. I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days and I was fasting and praying before the face of God of heaven. And I said, this is what he says, I pray, Lord, God of heaven, O great and awe-inspiring God, you who guard your covenant and your mercy, with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Now, um, this is a different way to pray. Uh, when I talked through Nehemiah back in 2009, I sent out... Uh, multiple email requests to the class and ask for feedback and questions and input uh, and perspective on the thoughts here. And Amy Prater, she and Jonathan are now at the Saudi Daisy campus. 
Sunday Daisy Campus wasn't even a thought then in 2009, so that's kind of cool. Uh, it was fun to go back and reread through some of these notes and see the comments. Um, but she said, you know, what, kind of, what in the world kind of prayer is this? Because when I pray, I absolutely don't want to say that, that I'm going to confess on behalf of the other crazy Americans that I live with. Right? I, I'm going to include myself in that garbage and engage God for them. That's what Nehemiah's doing. You know, I, I have no idea whether Nehemiah was a... Uh, a lifelong committed follower of Yahweh, or whether he was, he heard last week and he decided to do something different. I, I think that at least he had some serious training because in his prayer he quotes several Old Testament passages perfectly. Okay? So generally you don't wake up one day and have portions of the Old Testament memorized without some type of effort. Would, would you agree? That takes a little bit of effort. Okay? So what does he say? Verse 7. I'm sorry, the end of verse 6. Both my father's house and I have sinned. So he doesn't exempt himself. Verse 7, we have acted very corruptly. Um, the, the Hebrew here is actually, uh, if I were to say it in English, we have, acted, we have acted corruptly, corruptly. He says the same word twice. And in Hebrew, that's how you emphasize something. is just you repeat it. So we've acted corruptly, corruptly against you and have not kept or guarded the commandment. So here's a couple of blanks for you. Because many times you'll see words in the, in the Old Testament that look like they're the exact same thing, but they're really talking about different things. So commandments are things that are ordered to be done. So Albert, stand up. Thank you. So that was a commandment, right? Thank you very much. You may sit down. Uh, the statutes... <laughs> The statutes, so these are the limits or the boundaries. So when you drove here this morning, you passed on the side of the road a few statutes. Some of them had numbers on them, and they are called speed limits. Those are, the speed limits are statutes. They are not commandments. There's not the cop standing on the side of the road going, thou shalt not go faster than 30 miles an hour. No, they, they put up a statute, okay? The next part is the ordinances, and these are the judicial decisions. The judicial decisions. So... The output from the Supreme Court cases are ordinances. These are clarifications on the law that some person has spoken into this space to clarify. So we have not kept the things that God commanded. We have not kept the signpost that he put up. And we have not kept the judicial decisions that his people have made. Pretty much gets it all, right? So we haven't obeyed anything which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, thy word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. So what's been happening to them? They've been scattered, right? Verse 9, but if you return to me and keep or guard my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather together them from there and bring them or lead them in to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And this is where he's quoting several portions of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So verse 10, Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray. This is a different word for Lord, by the way. The first was Yahweh. This is Adonai. So he was familiar with the multiple names of God as well. I pray, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants. What does that imply? It was not alone, was he? See, Nehemiah gets a whole heck of a lot of credit in this story, but 
somebody came and gave him a report of how things were going and somebody was praying alongside of him in this process okay and let your i'm sorry let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name think about that who desire to fear your name when was the last time you woke up and you go what today my job is going to be i want to desire to fear the name of the lord I don't know that that's ever been my first thought waking up. Usually my first thought is, Ugh. right? It's something like that because that clock just keeps going off, right? And let your servant prosper this day. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who is this man? Who's the man? Who's always the man in any Bible story? Jesus is always the man in any Bible story. In this Bible story, it's actually the king, okay? So who does Nehemiah work for? The king. So what is Nehemiah going to need from the king to go and do something in Jerusalem? A hall pass and supplies, right? He's going to need a sabbatical, basically. He's going to need to be able to leave his job for some portion of time and go and do this work and not get killed for it. Because in this day and age, the Babylonians were not necessarily known for their kind treatment of disobedient servants. Okay? They learned a great deal from the Ninevites. Uh, and actually, the, the Ninevites were probably one of the first people that were uh, just torture experts. I mean, they were awful, awful. The Ninevites taught the Babylonians, and the Babylonians taught the Romans, and the Romans perfected it. Okay? That, that's kind of how it, it degraded over time. So the Babylonians were very, very good at doing really bad things to people that didn't obey. So... Let your servant prosper this day. Let your servant, talking about himself, prosper this day. So my question is, is it okay to pray for prosperity? I think that's probably a good question to ask. It depends on why. So I want to pray to be prosperous or successful in this endeavor to go back to your holy city and rebuild your walls so that we can provide a safe place to rebuild the temple and worship you again. Yeah, I think so. I think we've checked the box pretty well there. Okay? So I want, God, for you to make me successful so I can have a fat cat bank account and a bigger house than anybody else on the block. Probably not. I think we got swept up in the American dream. Right? So what's he in the chapter with? For I was the king's cupbearer. Which again, is just a great reminder that he's not a preacher, he's not a prophet, he's not a king, he's not something really special. He was just a guy that tasted food. Just a guy that tasted food. That had a burden for God's people. So, what does this look like? Well, at your tables, there are a couple other things, and some of you have done some building with some things that are at your tables. What's at your tables? Legos. How many of you took the initiative to try to build something with your Lego piece? Lego pieces? Who, who was it? There's usually two or three in each room. You got two? Okay, great. Three. That was actually not the intent. So if you could deconstruct those pieces real quick. <laughs> what I want everybody to do is to look at those Lego pieces and find the one that most closely identifies with you. It might be long and skinny. It might be short and not so skinny. It might be... Um, <laughs> I wasn't looking at anyone in particular there, okay? 
It might be irregularly shaped. It might be, um, it might have studs sticking out from places, and you go, I didn't know they made Lego pieces like that. That's just kind of crazy. So pick one that you think uh, you identify with and hold on to it. Pick one and hold on to it. All right, you got your pieces? So tell me, here's my question for you. Tell me which Lego set, and, and these are your gift today. I, w- I want you to keep your piece, and I want you to remember it, and you bring it back each week. Does Caleb know this? Does Caleb know this? Yes. I, I asked Caleb this uh, yesterday morning. I said, Caleb, I need your help uh, with my Sunday school class, uh, and I'd like to ask you, to give away something that is very precious to you. And he said, okay, all right. I said, uh, I'd like about 60 of your Lego pieces. He said, absolutely, I'd love to. I like, cool, that's awesome. I said, this will be, so he goes and he gets some and he brings them to me in this little tray, right? And he said, uh, Daddy, here's my 60 Lego pieces. It took him about five minutes to go. I mean, he was excited about this. This is really cool. And uh, I said, you know what this is, son? He said, what? He said, well, it's Lego pieces, Daddy. I said, yes, it's, 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 it is Lego pieces, son. Thank you for that. I said, this is now part of your offering to God this Sunday. Because what we bring to God is our offering. This is what we give to him. So this is part of my son's offering today. And what I want you to do is I want you to try to guess which of the, heaven only knows, how many Lego sets that he has, which piece that goes to. So take a second, look at your piece, see if you can figure it out. So a healthy guess is anything Star Wars, uh, anything with the, uh, I forget, the police series, the city series, thank you, yes, uh, and he's recently gotten into some Lord of the Rings sets, okay, I'll give you that, anybody know definitively what your piece goes to, anybody want to take a guess, what do you got, Star Wars what, which, which plane model? Yep, eh, wrong. Dave Barber, what you got? Got a jet engine. So which, uh, which specific set does that go to? So which specific set does it go to? You, you love when the teacher asks the same question twice. You're like, oh, I, didn't, I wasn't paying attention, was it? Goes to the fire hose set. The boat. Uh, yes, Justin is correct. So we got one. Very good. X-Wing, yes, that is actually correct. That is two. Um, no, it's actually not. Sorry, yeah. The Death Star, no, it's actually not. No? What do you got, Anna? It is one of the two, yes. You know which specific set it goes to? Mm. He, he has that set. That's the reason Justin knows, is he has that set, Okay. Zeke, Zeke, you look like you got to, you want to take a guess there. All right, listen, listen, listen to what Zeke said again. Okay, so some of you, God has designed you in a way that you could do just about anything in the body of Christ. We did not. I was just, I knew, I knew somebody was going to say it, right? Because there's, there's no way I can guess when I'm so, guess what? You, you can, and you know what you got to have? You got to have a whole bunch of those to get things done. 
And every once in a while, Abby, where's your piece? Is this your piece? This is Abby's piece. This piece is the uh, rim area that goes around a tire on his latest uh, police car set that he got. Very, very specialized piece here. You, you can't just throw this in with anything, right? Some of you have extraordinarily specific skills that need to be targeted in a, like, I fit right here in the body of Christ. Awesome. That's cool. So, how much fun are Legos if you just have one? Anybody? Like to play with just one Lego? No, no. They're not a lot of fun if you just have one. How much fun are Legos if you have, like, three or four? Yeah, it forces a lot of creativity when you don't have many resources. How much fun are Legos when you have, like, my son? You've got, like, seven of these bins of them. He, he dumps them out on the floor. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, you're not going to get to go to college because we've spent so much money on Legos. This is just ridiculous, you know? Um, but his imagination can run wild. And the designer... Right? The person coordinating what's going to go on has unbelievable fun because he has wide variety in putting things together and packaging this and constructing this and putting this together and making this work. And think about God and his perspective on having billions of people, Lego pieces, that he could put together in wide variety. It's just, I think it's a pretty cool analogy. So what I want you to do is to keep your Lego piece all right. Some of you are going, this is really big and I can't put it in my pocket and I'm going to feel weird walking. Up. Nope. This is where I fit in. This is what I'm called to do. So on the very back side of your handout, what's the point? Well, a couple points here. Communication is part of the work. All right. If Hanani and his brethren had not come back and told Nehemiah about the conditions, would Nehemiah have been burdened? I don't know. Maybe, but maybe not as much, right? Prayer is part of the work. Right? Nehemiah got on his face before God for four months before we do anything. He just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And volunteering is part of the work. Um, Nehemiah included himself. He didn't say, uh, here I am, Lord, send Aaron you know, which is what Moses' prayer was, right? It's like the first time God talks to him, I'm here, right here, and Aaron's right there, so he's, he's good, so go send him. That's not what he prayed. He said, make me part of the solution. I don't know. I don't have it figured out. But just maybe in that four-month period of prayer, God told Nehemiah how this thing is supposed to work. Because Nehemiah, when he got his butt to Jerusalem, he had some plans, and they were specific, and they involved specific people working a specific way at a specific time and you go, where did you come up with all that? Maybe it's been four months talking to God, just perhaps, right? So here's your blanks. Communicate, EAC, there you go. Pray for, EAC. Volunteer for, hey, imagine that. I told you it was a commercial. What was that last one again? EAC, volunteer, yes. So, now, the rest of you are going, what are those sermon blanks? Yes. So that was the lesson I was supposed to teach. So if anyone asks, yes, that's what I taught. Okay? You'll need a password to get into the podcast for the next four weeks. To, no, no, not at all. Not at all. all right, so that's Nehemiah 1. We've got three more weeks of Nehemiah. Communicate, 
pray, volunteer, let's go do the work. We are the body of Christ. We can do this. So make sure you write your prayer request down on the uh, Sunday School Weekly Update page. Pray as a table. You are dismissed. Thank you for coming. Jesus is awesome.